Hello everyone and welcome to episode two, series two of the Thirst of All podcast with me, Rory. Uh, my guest today is Jamie Baxter. Now, if you've never heard of Jamie Baxter, you will 100% have tasted one of his gins, probably, that he's made. He's helped set up countless distilleries in the UK and beyond, all over the world. Over 200 gin recipes, I think, that he can attribute to the UK. This guy is a distilling legend. He has come up in a couple of episodes in Series 1 with Will and Leon. They both mentioned him. So it was only right that we got him on uh, for series two. So uh, this is a soup. If you're into your um, drink and alcohol and you want to learn more, then this is the episode for you. This is a super geeky episode and I'm so excited for you to listen to it. So this is episode two with Jamie Baxter. Let's go. Welcome. Jamie, to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, yeah. We're um, I'm up here in North Wales, and we're just coming to the end of our lockdown. And so, oh uh, well, we're just we've, compared to you. Guys. Yeah, we've just <laughs> day one is just coming to an end here in England. So we're uh, very, very jealous. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. It was a bit of a uh, um, an odd one in that two episodes that I recorded uh, with. Leon and Will and you came up in conversation in both of those episodes in the same day and they both said I'd be mad not to get you on so uh, and here you are. Oh they did go don't they? <laughs> <laughs> so before we go any further we need to talk about now you, your now drink. Now we haven't managed to quite get the same one because you've um, as, as I expected a very specific now drink so talk to me about what you're drinking right now Jamie. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry about that. I guess like, like many people, when I was um, younger, I had a, a, a dodgy experience with cider. And so I never drank cider for about 25, 30 years. Oh my goodness. And then when I went to work for, uh, to build a chase distillery down in Herefordshire, Herefordshire obviously is famous for cider amongst other things. Yeah. And so I, after a while I thought, well, I'd better give this a go. And I had a pint in a pub somewhere and it was lovely it was a lovely hot summer's day and it was a beautiful refreshing drink so I thought actually this is this is not bad I've managed to grow out of my my problems so uh, <laughs> I'll have to explore this a little more and just down the road from the distillery um, in Herefordshire there's this guy who makes some of the best cider and perry in, in the whole world now I shouldn't really say this but but I think in in, in Brittany I, I think they make the best cider in the world mm. but uh, in Herefordshire and Tom Oliver in particular runs them close. He makes something like two thirds of all the bottle fermented um, champagne, uh, champagne style perry and cider in the whole of the UK. Wow. Um, it's an extraordinary, fantastic product. And it's my favorite way of winding up the French actually, is to explain to them that champagne was invented in Herefordshire, not, uh, not by Grand <laughs> Perignon. <as a> friend. <laughs> because it was, in reality, it was an engineering um, solution to a problem and that was making a bottle that was strong enough to be able to withstand the internal pressure of the fizzy wine um, and that was developed in in Herefordshire about 20 years before Dom Perignon supposedly invented champagne and obviously they were they, they would have put cider and perry into these bottles but they were growing a lot of grapes and making a lot of wine in at that time in Herefordshire the climate was a wee bit warmer and so um, it's 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 without doubt that they they, they wouldn't have um, 
put uh, a, a sparkling wine into a into a bottle at the same time. So champagne was invented in Herefordshire, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm a bit. You've heard it here first. There we go. That is yeah. a that is an exclusive there that champagne was <laughs> indeed invented in Herefordshire. So, well, I'm a bit fast and loose with my facts. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously I attempted to, to source a Perry and I quite quickly realised that it's it's just not, very wrongly, it's very difficult to get hold of a Perry, but I managed to, I managed to source a, um, it isn't local, but I found it in a local farm shop and, uh, and it's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. Um, and... I, I, I yeah. when you kind of told me your drink, I did a little bit of research on Tom Oliver and what he does and things, and it, it's a it's a really impressive little setup, actually. To be fair, it's a it, it's very uh, it's got fantastic accolades alongside of it, and it, uh, I will I yeah. will endeavour to still get hold of a crate if I have to just to just to experience it because uh, because I, I know that. Uh, reading all the stuff it, it looks awesome and it sounds awesome he, he's a lovely lovely bloke as well the, the products are absolutely fantastic the one i've got uh, today is is uh, a pet nat dry perry um from 2017 so wow. pet nat means it's uh, what's it sound for petillon naturel or something so it's uh it's fermented with wild yeast that are just floating around in the atmosphere in his cider mill and on the walls and the roofs and so on. I mean, why anybody would want to do that? Because it's a, it's a flipping nightmare to control. But Tom is, um, is a real purist at heart and, uh, and it makes a fantastic product. And it's, you know, people talk about terroir in drinks and this is reliant on the, on the, on the, 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 the yeast that's just floating about in the atmosphere. So it doesn't, you know, the terroir doesn't come more into a product than that in many, many ways. He's a lovely bloke. He's the road. Uh, uh, he, he's the roadie for the Proclaimers as well, um, which is oh slightly weird. And I think the Wurzels too. <laughs> Jesus, this guy. Honestly, not only is he creating <laughs> some epic drinks, but he's a roadie for two of the most. Yeah. Well, I guess they're. I, I wouldn't even put them in 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 the same category. The Wurzels, Wurzels, and the Proclaimers. There, but <laughs> 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 there we go. There we go. Well, anyway, before we move on um, to the next drink, um, Jamie, just for just for the listener, just in case in the unlikely event they've not kind of heard of you and and what you do, and and give us a little bit of a background of yourself and how you got into booze and 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 what you do now. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've I've worked in the the food and drink industry probably most of my life now, um, and. In terms of um, spirits, it started back in 2006, I think, when I was taken on by a guy called Will Chase to build him a, a, a muesli factory. Now, Will had Tyrrell's potato crisps at that time, and it was very successful. Um, and one of the things that made it successful, I guess, was the fact that um, he was growing the potatoes on the same farm where, where he made the crisps. But the thing about potatoes is you can't grow the same crop year after year mm. in the same field. You have to rotate the crops. Yeah. So for four years out of five, we were actually growing a crop that we didn't need, um, either a cereal or an oil seed rape. Um, and because the crisps have been so successful, he thought, well, uh, by adding value uh, onto the potatoes that he was growing, he thought, well, maybe I could add value onto either the rape seed or the, or the cereals. So cutting a long story short, he took me on to build him a muesli factory. 
because uh, I used to have my own breakfast cereal company up here in North Wales. Um, and after six weeks, I went on holiday because before I joined the company, I'd, I'd already booked a holiday. And that was a big mistake because while I was away, he cancelled all the orders I'd placed for all the equipment. And when I came back, he said, look, music's bloody boring, Jamie. Let's make potato vodka instead. So <laughs> the first distillery I ever built was the Chase, what's wow. now the Chase the distillery. Um, and it was fantastic fun. I mean, we didn't, none of us in the whole business knew anything about the drinks industry. Um, and if we had, we probably wouldn't have done it, if <laughs> truth be told. We were very naive. Um, but I think that came with some advantages as well. Yeah. So we did exactly the same as we did with the Chris. We, we took the potatoes that we grew on the farm and turned it into a really, really nice potato vodka. I'm, very, I'm still very, very proud of it. Um, so I worked there for, I think, four years. Within six months of starting, it was named Best Vodka in the World at the San Francisco World Spirit Awards. So I, I just thought the drinks industry is easy, isn't it? Um, so when I left, um, and, and so you have to remember that small scale distilling wasn't allowed really up until then. Yeah. Um, Chase and Sipsmith and Ian Hart with Sacred Spirits, we were the first real sort of ones to come under what's now called craft distilling. Distilling, yeah. Um, you know, the, the door was sort of slightly ajar, but we, we, the three of us sort of barged our way through it and we all started up at roughly the same time. Yeah. Um, and so when I left, I realized there was nobody in the whole country who'd really picked up the same sort of experience that I just had by luck rather than good judgment of building a small scale distillery. Although Chase is quite big for a craft distillery, it has to be said. So I set myself up as a consultant and times were really difficult for the first year, but then things started to pick up. And I've now built, I think, 45 distilleries in the UK. Wow. So that's one in 20 of all the working distilleries in the whole of the country. Um, when somebody put it in those terms, it was a bit. <laughs> that is <laughs> quite impressive, something. isn't it? When you put it like that, that is really, really impressive. And that's of yeah. course what you've done in the UK, because I know that you've, you've, you know, you've consulted on distilleries all over as well, haven't you? Yeah, we just finished our first uh, project in France, down uh, near Marseille in, in Provence. And that's a beautiful, beautiful um, product we made there, actually. It's like a walk through the Provencal Hills. Oh, Again, wow. you know, all the botanical, almost all the botanicals grow uh, in the area and, and he, he forages and handpicks them all. He used to work for um, a perfume company uh, and I think he might have been a buyer, so he already had the contacts uh, out there wow. so, and he understands the botanicals as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a lovely project. It was in a, a small medieval town called Arles. It's really beautiful right on the banks of the Rhone. So there's these huge, great ships going up and down the river. Oh, um, but it was boiling hot and narrow cobbled medieval streets. So we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't get the lorry anywhere near it. So we had to pull the equipment <laughs> on a truck with all these Frenchmen pointing and laughing at us. It was, it was hot and sweaty and it was a, a struggle to get fit, make it fit in. But it, was a, it's, it looks absolutely stunning. I'd encourage anybody when we're allowed to travel again to go, to go and visit. It's fantastic. Absolutely. And we're doing uh, one in Kenya, we're doing a couple of projects in India as well at the moment. So yeah, we're, we're spreading our wings. We're, we're a global company now, despite the fact there's only two of us in the business. <laughs> that's, so, that's so exciting. And, and I think that, that, that uh, certainly from my point of view, the beauty of, of some of these, uh, you know, particularly India maybe in the last 18 months, and um, you know, there's some incredible native botanicals that we just can't use slash replicate in a lot of the rest of the world so it's just so exciting and some of the things that have come out just from all over the world 
you know, your Australia's, your South Africa's, your, as I say, your India's. Oh my, they are, it's yeah. just, it, it blows the category wide open time after time after time after time. Just when you think that you've kind of, everything's been exhausted, you know, you kind of hit another country and it's like, wow, these, this is incredible. It's it's fantastic, isn't it? When you, if you just limit yourself to gin, you know they, what they do in America. They they just because they don't really understand gin, I guess. They they, they do things a bit differently, and uh, and they're doing some extraordinary things over there. Um, you look at what's happened in Australia. There's it's a fantastic gin scene. They're very very inventive. Yeah. Um, India has got a huge choice of botanicals. I'm working with some Indian botanicals for one of these projects at the moment. They sent a load over to me, and I haven't got a clue what most of these things are. And I'm just distilling them individually to see. See Firstly, if any flavour comes off, and secondly, if it's a nice flavour, yeah. and uh, if, if any of them seem any good, then we'll incorporate them into the into the recipe. It's awesome. Uh, the, it's it is a it's brilliant time to be involved in the business at the moment, uh, and even in this country, you know, there, there 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 are loads of people getting involved in gin and rum now, and other products too, mm. and it's uh, it's just so exciting at the moment. It is. It is absolutely well. We need to. We need to move on to your next drink, Jamie, because uh, I'm very interested to get transported back in time to, uh, to a, a place and a time where, you know, you feel nostalgic because you've, you're clearly very knowledgeable when it comes to drink. So take us back to a point in your life where drink was uh, really prominent. What is your then drink? Yeah, it's... Um... Well, when I, when I left university, I got a job at Birdseye, and it was a brilliant job, and in fairness, I, sh I probably should never have left. It was, it was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. But I got offered a job um, working in the Mediterranean, teaching sailing and windsurfing, canoeing, and uh, living down there for a, a few years. So I couldn't resist that job opportunity, obviously, so I went down to work there. And, um, and it was my first uh, exposure to um, pastis and, and, and anise-flavoured drinks. Yeah. And I fell in love with pastis. I absolutely adore it. And, since, and from that, um, I, I started to, uh, to, to experience absinthe as well. And so absinthe is now one of my big loves as well. Um, and I've made some really, really nice absinthe here in the UK. Not, not commercially, just um, uh, in development trials. And I, I've never actually had the nerve to, to launch a product. But I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm definitely going to do it. But for two years on, on a beach, I fell asleep with a the sound of the waves on the Mediterranean rolling up the beach and it was just absolutely fantastic um, and pastis was the go-to drink because there was a little wine cooperative up the road and in those days <laughs> the red and the white wine was one franc and ten cents which was 11 pence for a litre what and the rosé was 13 pence equivalent but they were yeah the rosé was just about drinkable the other two weren't <laughs> so uh, i tended to drink the pastis rather than the, the rather than the very local wine um and, and and now every time i drink pastis it just takes me back to, to to those sandy beaches and just sitting there in the evening watching the sun go down and it, it was gorgeous and so this project we've just done in provence of course that there was um there's half an hour or so on the train from marseille um, where my favorite, uh, where, where the, the, not my favorite, but the brand I was drinking at the time, um, um, Ricard 51 Saint Contéan. Um, that's what that's what it is made in Marseille. So um, wow. it, it just takes me back. And uh, yeah, pastis as well as like gin is a botanical spirit. Yeah. And yeah, you know, some of the uh, some of the botanicals are common to both products as well. Obviously, aniseed is much more prevalent in in the pastis and the absinthe yeah. and so on. 
So yeah, I, I, I can't drink a glass of absinthe without thinking back to, to those days. <laughs> what a lovely, it's actually, it's, it's nice to hear fond memories uh, off the back of absinthe because it's kind of got a bit of a bad name in a way, isn't it? And I, I was, I was, it's always been a, one of those that I've, I've avoided because, um, uh, it'll hate me for saying it, but one of my best friends had a very poor experience back in the day. And, uh, mm -hmm. and it, it kind of scared me a bit. I was like, Oh goodness, that absinthe, you know, that that's one to avoid. It's, a lot of the cocktail names are, you know, that contain absinthe are, 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 are worrying when you read the names of the cocktails. So, you know, I thought yeah. it's one I need to avoid. Um, but actually revisiting it, I thought I didn't like kind of the aniseed flavour. I'm not a, like Perno and that kind of thing. Not a big fan. But actually, mm -hmm. It, it really can add, it can really add a huge amount of depth to a cocktail. Just a little rinse around the glass, a little drop here and there, yeah. and it can just elevate a cocktail <coughs> so, so well. And I've only really yeah. discovered that in the last few months. Right. Well, Perno were, were, were huge absinthe producers. And when uh, absinthe was banned in France, they, they, you know, their product basically was banned. So they, they, they basically just took the, um, the wormwood out and uh, and develop this new product which they called pastis um and so pastis effectively is absent without the wormwood i mean there's a bit of a simplification but not far off um but you have to remember as well with absinthe that you've got the uh the the sort of traditional swiss and french style of absinthe yes. and you've also then got the eastern european style which is a very different product altogether definitely um, definitely <laughs> there we go well i'm i i'm i'm kind of there with you I'm, you've you've taken me right back to those uh <laughs> Those days in in uh, your you know one of your first uh, first jobs and I, it's one of those I think it's coming back a bit. I know Tarquins have it, you know were quite they've done one a few years ago. It came up on a previous episode. Um, All right, it's a brilliant pun, isn't it? As well, Cornish pasties. But yeah, oh, you can't. Yeah, it had to be done. Someone <laughs> had to do it, and they did it really quick. They were really yeah. quick off the mark. With that, <laughs> so. Uh, let's move on. Let's go to your first ever, or no, not your necessarily your first drink, but kind of early memories. That, you know, someone like yourself that's really, really into their drink and got such a huge knowledge of drink. I find <laughs> it fascinating to go right back and find out what was that first kind of, what was that first drink that you had, and where were you? What can you remember? Well, I'm quite a bit older than you, Rory, and uh, when, I, when I was a kid growing up, I mean, it was, it was, lots of my friends as well did the same thing. We all had something fermenting in the corner of our bedrooms when I was a small boy. Um, and mostly it was, a, it, we, we used to pass around what we called a ginger beer plant. Um, so it was a little bacterial culture that you, you, you fed with sugar um, once every three or four weeks. You topped it up with fizzy water. Uh, no, sorry, just with water. With water and the bacteria fermented the, the sugars that you'd added together with powdered ginger uh, to create a rather new fermentation, um, ginger beer. And it was fantastic. You just kept it going. You, you used to pass the culture around, a bit like sourdough bread and the starter culture. You used to pass that culture around to all your friends. And that, yeah, that was, that was lovely. And I, and I still enjoy ginger beer. I love it. So the first alcoholic drink that I used to drink regularly 
was when I used to go to with my father to the golf club because I used to have to carry his bloody golf clubs around the <laughs> golf club as a caddy. Um, and uh, afterwards, I used to have a pint of shandy. But shandy uh, originally was it was called shandy gaff, and it was made with ginger beer rather than lemonade. Um, as it is nowadays when you ask for a shandy yeah. so my first alcoholic drink was a ginger beer shandy and I still you know if I'm driving or something and and uh, and um you know I have to watch what I, how much I'm drinking then a ginger beer shandy is my, is probably my my go-to I can't stand these no low alcohol gins for a start no well they're not <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but but a ginger beer shandy is uh, is a lovely refreshing drink do you know what that is? It is again. This is fascinating, and I I completely did not know you were gonna you were gonna say that before we spoke. But that this has come up on another episode before, and I was like, oh, I've never heard of a ginger beer shandy. I'd never, yeah. heard of it. and this is now the second time, only on in this uh, black <laughs> podcast that 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 this has come up. And what what I really like, this is gonna sound really weird, is that when you were younger. You, <laughs> you'd have, like as you say, you'd have something fermenting in the corner of your room. And now I, now I'm very envious because the best thing I had growing up and my group of friends was probably, uh, we wouldn't even have considered trying to make any sort of alcohol or anything like that. And I kind of look back and go, I just didn't have this. Uh, interest i guess in how you know in fermentation or distillation or anything like that but yeah the fact that you were doing that from from such a young age you were kind of this gin- for it really weren't you <laughs> wait exactly but this ginger beer wasn't alcoholic as i said it was a it was a it was a bacterial malolactic fermentation rather than a yeast fermentation so i mean there, there would have been very small trace quantities of alcohol but, yeah. but nothing to write home about but at the same time in those days it was um you know, people used to ferment at home, and and my, I remember my dad making um, a wine from carrots, um, and actually it tasted a bit like sherry. It was it was it was actually one of his more successful ones, but uh, <laughs> but it was quite common in those days to buy a sort of like a homemade lager kit, and and I remember doing one at home when I was a bit older, and and you had to brew a really strong black tea and add that into the uh, into, into the brew. It was just it was all a bit weird, and it never tasted quite right. Um, but yeah, I, 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 the, 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 the ginger beer was good. And then when I was older, um, we were living down in Hastings. I used to play cricket for the local pub team. And uh, I made some alcoholic ginger beer. Uh, and it was, it was incredible. It tasted really, really nice. I popped it in the bottles. And then uh, on the day of a match, on a, on a Saturday morning, I came downstairs and there was this almighty explosion. And one of the bottles under the sink had just exploded. It was under so much pressure. And then about half an hour later, a second one exploded as well. So I thought, well, these are all going to go. We're going to have to drink these. <laughs> and then it's, it was it, because it was raining. The cricket game was called off. So I, I phoned around the rest of the team and said, well, yeah, we've got the tea already prepared. I've got all this ginger beer, which is about to explode. It's really tasty. <laughs> but come around and drink it. So I had this whole cricket team and we were drinking this beer, this ginger beer rather. And everybody was saying, oh, it's lovely, Jamie. It tastes very, very nice, but it's not very alcoholic, is it? And then somebody stood up to try and get to the toilet and they couldn't walk and they had to literally crawl up the stairs. Oh my goodness. It, it was man. a lot stronger than it tasted. And meanwhile, um, the cat was eating the chicken legs from the, the tea and my wife was just stuffing them back in and just passing everything out. So, I mean, it's it a absolute carnage, that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got exploding ginger beer, which mm. actually, 
I think that would really sell now if you if you marketed that exploding ginger beer. That sounds great. Um, well, it's, it's a real problem for things like kombucha as well at the moment. Yes. So I teach uh, uh, I teach once a year. I go out to America and teach American distillers how to make gin. And the guy who organises the course is a an analytical chemist, and he works for the brewing and distilling industry. And uh, he's got real problems with kombucha and and um, unpasteurized beers at the moment because these cans and bottles are exploding and suddenly you know, people are getting quite seriously hurt and and Gary takes it very seriously and is, is concerned that the, uh, the the industry really isn't taking it as seriously as they should be because mm. you know some, somebody will you know people are getting injured that is <laughs> meant, that's crazy isn't it mm. that is absolutely a, mad yeah He's also very concerned there's a lot more alcohol in kombucha than, than people realise as well. Really? Because <laughs> the, the fermentation isn't that isn't controlled terribly well sometimes. <laughs> well, there we go. In another <laughs> another exclusive for the podcast. <laughs> contain well just alcohol and junk. Because that that's another thing that's really sort of taken off recently, isn't it? I, I'm seeing it everywhere. Um, and I've had I've had a fair amount, and you're right. It does have that struggle to put a word on the taste, but it is that kind of fermented. I, I very vividly remember, maybe oh gosh, probably a new, coming up going on ten years ago in my day job. One of my customers used to make ginger beer in their garage, and it re that every time I have kombucha it really reminds me that there's something it was sort of like repeated on you a little bit in that it was yeah. that kind of gases still it was as if it was still sort of fermenting when you drank it it wasn't quite finished it yeah. would have this <laughs> sort of air coming out as you drank it and that's how I feel when I drink anything like that it's supposed to be very good for you isn't it aren't you yes <laughs> Well, as long as it's not exploding in your face, so I think that's yeah. That's um, anyway. Moving on, your last drink. So this question, I is it is my favourite question of the whole round of drinks because uh, it's kind of putting you in the position that it, it's not your favourite drink. It's not like what you drink all the time. It's your last drink. It's that's it. Your final glass. The final sip. Jamie, tell me. Come on. Well, I think, yeah, for my last drink, it would, I think it's got to be a martini. Because gin's been good to me, actually. I mean, I've got, I've got so many blooming gins out there in the marketplace. I'm not like to talk about many of them, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I've got, you know, being, uh, being sold out, out in the marketplace, there must be close to 200 gins that I've developed out there now. That's so you, you, you've drunk my gins without realising it and all this sort of stuff. So I, I've got to, fit, yeah, my last drink has got to be a martini preferably several martinis and um, I find now I'm drinking them less and less dry because I used to drink my martinis absolutely bone dry but yeah. now um, I, I, I'm putting more and more uh, vermouth into the product um, and again going back to the absinthe I love it with a little absinthe um, a dash of absinthe as well so so my last drink would be a, a, a martini in the sort of ratio three to one with a dash of absinthe I think um, okay, and several of them please <laughs> Right. So I will I will allow several. I think that's absolutely. You've contributed so much to the gin market that I will allow several. But I do have two questions for you. The first one 
is what glass would you like that in? Uh, I tend to use a, a I don't know if it's pronounced a coupe or a coupe, sorry, I'm, I'm embarrassed about that. <laughs> no, I have um, no idea either. <laughs> <laughs> I think I say coupe actually, if, uh, if, yeah. I, if I was to say it, yeah. All right, I was going to say coupe. <laughs> what do I know? Coupe slash coupe, we know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. It's only because uh, yeah. it's, we, we had a, a, my, the first episode of, of this podcast, um, myself and Olivier Ward, got into a discussion around the martini glass um, in that neither of us would choose to drink a martini out of the traditional kind of martini uh -huh. glass. So I just wanted to get your take on what glass where you would want in for your last martini. Well, my, my, my problem with the martini glasses is that nowadays they seem to be far too big. Exactly. Um, this was the point. Because yeah, there's, there's nothing worse than a, than a warm martini, is there? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not be, at all. It's going to be ice cold. It was, it's, they're way too big. There's this mm. too much, when, like, as you say, like a three to one martini isn't, you'd like to think whether you're shaking it, stirring it, whatever, it's not going to fill that glass. No, no, so, no, it's, it's, <laughs> no, it's it, not of the modern size. So lots of little ones, please. Yes, lots of really <laughs> tiny martini. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely fine. So my second question, um, great dashes absent, three to one. I like the ratio. I'm a bit with you. I always my 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 martini journey started bone dry, and I feel like I'm now adding more because I think because I'm more understanding the flavour of the mousse more. Yeah, I'm adding more to it. But my second question. And I know this puts you in a very difficult position. You're more than welcome to pass on this question. But if I had to nail you down to one gin for your last one, and it doesn't have to be one you've made, it could just be whatever. If I had to, if I had to nail you down for one gin in this martini, what would it be? I, that is a really difficult question because, yeah, my, my favourite gin changes all the time, to be honest. And... Uh, yeah, I, I, of the big brands, for example, Tanqueray 10 is just an absolutely fantastic product. I, I absolutely adore that. But I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't use that in a martini with a dash of absinthe. You know, I'd, I'd want that in a more traditional martini yeah. with a twist. Um, uh, I've really... So sorry. I just, I couldn't resist <laughs> asking it. I couldn't resist. But it was, I think because, as you say, it's, it's quite a specific martini. You're three to one. You've got a dash of absinthe. So as you say, with like tank 10, it kind of eliminates that kind of, so you, you're, you're stripping out quite a few gins by with the, with the, yeah. the absinthe. So I, when I was, at, uh, so, so one of the gins I, I did was, was Burley's gin and um, we launched with a range of three different products. So there was our, uh, our workhorse um, signature product, they call it. Yeah. And then there was an export strength, which is a stronger version of it, but then also the distiller's cut. And as the name suggests, that I thought that was a lovely gin. I was really, really happy with that. It wasn't um, such. It, it, it was. A, it was a bit more veering towards an old Tom style of gin, I guess. Okay. Um, and it wasn't traditional enough for, for the workhorse. So I had to continue the recipe development and move away from it a little bit in order to get our workhorse product. But it was a product I liked so much that we decided to, to launch it uh, in its own right. So, and, and again, it's another one of those products that I'm very, very proud of. And, and it's a, a sort of more 
sort of slightly herbal earthy product so it would go very very well in in in, in that martini and i've still got loads of bottles here which i probably shouldn't have but hey <laughs> i'm slowly working my way through them <laughs> well I'll, I'll borrow that to make you your final your final martini but yeah brilliant thank you for that that's uh we've got four excellent drinks in your round of drink but so i guess before we move on to your never drink um, again, just purely my curiosity, I'd really be interested to know, we're, we face really difficult times at the moment, and I'm sure that you're used to um, going all over and setting these incredible distilleries up, whether it's overseas or, you know, or here in the UK, you know, we've, we've heard of just how many distilleries you've been a part of. Is there what's kind of moving into, you know, 2020 is a little bit of a write off, but is there anything that you've got in the pipeline or anything that you've done recently that you think this is going to be exciting? You know, you don't need to name names and or, or brands, but it, I'm kind of looking for something, a bit of hope maybe in the, in the market. Is there yeah. something that you're, you've been working on that you think, actually, I think this is going to be really good? Um, well, I've already mentioned that Provencal gin. I think that was that was a lovely gin. But actually, I think it's it's in in, in more general terms. I think it's lovely that um, there's been this general movement over the last sort of three, four, five years, I guess, of of distilleries becoming a little more open and more welcoming to to visitors, particularly in England. You know, you could always go around a Scotch whisky distillery in the days, but it was always very um, sort of organised. Um, Whereas the sort of smaller scale so-called craft distilleries, um, you know, you can go and visit these guys. You can you can very often chat to the distiller, which you you can't do in the in the in the bigger organised tours. Um, and and I, and I just see that continuing all the time as well. And it, that is fantastic. It's bringing the consumer much much closer to the product, um, and and that can only be a good thing. Um, I'm seeing m m many more, lots of expressions of interest uh, on gin and other products from outside the UK as well. I think there's going to be some very exciting um, products coming in from other countries, but, and we've already mentioned India. I think that, that could be very exciting what happens in the next few years. Yeah. Um, America might eventually get the hang of it as well. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting times, I think, in gin still. You know, everybody says that we're in the middle of a bubble or at the end of a bubble and it's, it's, it's going to burst. But to be honest, I don't see any sign of it now uh, still. I still get loads of inquiries from people who want their own distillery. Yeah. Um, I think it's true to say that the, the, the size of projects is getting slightly smaller um, and, and distilleries are happy just to sort of supply the locality, uh, whether it's the town or the county and neighbouring counties. And, uh, and, they're, and they're selling more and more direct to the consumer rather than through the trade. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've got a little distillery in Leicester, for example. We, we do a bit of um, distilling there. We, it's, it's only tiny. We just do a couple of hundred bottles a week. But they're all sold direct to the consumer. We don't sell to the trade at all. So the profit margin on each individual bottle is really quite yeah. good, um, and it's a nice, yeah, it's a nice learner. <laughs> I probably shouldn't yeah. be saying any of this, but it's, uh, you know, I, I can see more and more of that happening. And uh, um, I think you're so right. I think people, I think it's probably in the last, from for, certainly from my observations, maybe the last two years, maybe a little bit longer in the. The, the the kind of the tourism aspect is is 
especially at the minute, like we think holidaying is going to potentially look very, very different over the next year still. And people are going to different parts of the UK and you can go to any county now and you will find someone making a gin. So if you're into your gin and you want to go and you will find someone relatively close now. And what an amazing thing to go and meet the person because more often than not, as you say, these smaller setups, the business owner is the distiller and the the distiller is the person that bottles it. And they're really tiny little setups. And that's how people fall in love with products because of that provenance. And as you say, yeah. you can then sell directly to your local consumers for 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 for, for kind of a better uh, a better business deal. But I think a but lot. Then we of- also we also have a couple of bars in Leicester, so um, you know, they're, they're, again, that's a really good outlet for yeah. for the distillery, of course. Uh, yeah. And we can make all sorts of weird stuff on the still and uh, and and um, trial it out on people in in, in the real world. It's uh, it's fantastic. People like to be a part of potentially creating a new product or just trying something they never tried. I think I'm with you. I think it's really, really exciting. And I think um, I take my hat off to you because I, I know how hard you work and I know a vast majority of the distilleries that you've, 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 you've got behind and you've helped bring to market and they're all awesome. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, <laughs> fantastic and fantastic. But that's very kind. Thank you. Unfortunately, I am going to have to now <laughs> put you in the position where, for your fifth and final drink, you will need to remove something. And I, this must be really difficult as a producer and as someone that helps make make products and bring it to market. That and this isn't a. This isn't a. I think this is shit. This is a in your opinion, if you had to remove something from the, the planet, you'll never drink, Jamie. What are we going for? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so th- this is this is a slightly tricky one because, um, as you say, it's, it's not it's not a it's not a drink that I I I, I want to disappear. No. It's just a drink that that I would not tend to to order and wouldn't thank you if you brought one over to me if we were <laughs> sitting in a bar now. And that's overly sweetened gins. <laughs> so yeah, predominantly the pink gins. Yeah. Um, and it's re- it's really funny because I know I'm not um, uh, alone in this in the in the gin distilling world. There are many many distillers who 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 are not particularly keen on some of the products that they make. But um, the, but these products are the, their biggest selling ones in the portfolio. So they're very very proud. Don't get me wrong. They're very proud of their traditional London dry style of gin but the one that sells the most by far is the sort of pink strawberry flavoured unicorn tiered thing or the lemon sherbet yeah. the distiller never drinks that but it keeps the business going so so they, they've got their place and they're really really important but it's just something that I don't really enjoy drinking myself too much and that's slightly weird because um yeah, when when you look at the amount of added sugar that there is in many rums, it's far far higher than it is in 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 some of these many many of these gins. Um, but 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 I must admit, again, you know, I, I haven't got a particularly sweet tooth, so 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 I do tend to to prefer the the rums and the gins without added sugar. Put it that way. Yeah, and I'm I'm one hundred percent with you. And do you know what? If if we'd have had this conversation a couple of years ago. I'd have 
flown off the handle. I hated pink gins. I hated it because it wasn't, I'm a real purist and a traditionalist and I like gin to be gin. And as I say, two years ago, I'd have really gone off on one. But do you know what? Over the last couple of years, I've just have to accept that they're there and 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 that's it and you know they they are part of the market whether we like it or not they uh, they do sell and people do like them rightly or wrongly so we kind of have it's one of those things it's kind of like this is a really bizarre analogy i've got badges (laughs) in my garden at the minute Uh driving me mental right they're digging the garden up they're digging holes I can't do anything about it because they're protected. I, you know, I can't go out, yeah. and, you know, so I have to live with it. I know they're out there probably as we speak now, at eight, <laughs> they'll be out there digging, digging in my garden. Mm-hmm. A bit like pink gin is digging in my head. I know it's there, but I just have to go. Do you know what? It's fine. I know you're out there. I'm quite happy. Some people like you and that's absolutely fine. Will I drink you? No, I won't. And that's absolutely yeah. fine. That, that, that's fine. We, we've all got different tastes, haven't we? And, uh, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've all got different tastes. And, and, and I think as you get older, you know, you tend to drink sort of slightly. We will get more bitter and twisted. So, uh, so, so maybe our palates follow us as well in, in our <laughs> Of course, of course. No, and I, I'm, 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 like I say, I'm 100 with you, and I've, and I will, I've, of course, I will allow this to be your never drink because it would probably be mine. But, <laughs> um, you know, but we, 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 we are also acknowledging that you know they do need to kind of be here, and uh, and, and 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 some companies, you know, they do rely on those sales, and and if anything, if I take a positive spin on it, is do if. 10% of people that drink those gins, it gets them into gin and they try something else that they maybe wouldn't have tried and it kind of progressively pushes them into yeah. a more traditional gin category then happy days. Yeah, who knows? I mean, alcohol is supposed to be fun. You're supposed to drink things that you like, not, exactly. not things that are difficult. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, there we go. Let's recap, Jamie, because this is a hell of a round of drinks, my friend. So <laughs> what now drink was a Perry from um, Tom Oliver with a side of the, is it the Poir Williams? Yeah, I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, no. I'm drinking a Poir alongside it as well. So uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge Schnapps and Eau de Vie fan. Nobody in this country drinks it and it's uh, such a shame. So, so we, you yeah, know, we grow fantastic um tree fruits and soft fruits here in this country and why we don't make schnapps i don't know i honestly don't know um there's a couple of people doing it you, you mentioned will edge at green sand ridge he's got a lovely um himberg geist uh, what's it in, in, in uh, uh, raspberry um schnapps yeah um uh, he's got a i think he's got a plum and a cherry as well and obviously things like side, somerset um cider brandy uh, as, as well they're, they're similar sorts of products but uh, and just 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 aged snaps um, but yeah we we on the whole we don't really drink them in this country which is a real shame so sorry to interrupt not at all <laughs> and, and that's why i mentioned it because we we kind of glossed over it a little bit but i think it's um and this that's kind of how you how i got you on the podcast because we were talking about snaps 
Um, and uh, I think if anything, we need to do is to certainly drink more of it. So you'll then drink pastis, um, which you've, you've a million percent sold me now that I really need to. And we'd obviously had a, a really decent conversation about absinthe and perno and things, but which have kind of featured in the podcast in the negative light. So it's good that some, you know, a kind of a, a, a drink with those similar flavor profiles as being, uh, being showcased positively. Your first drink, yeah. ginger beer shandy. Now it wouldn't <laughs> explode because we had a, <laughs> we were talking about exploding ginger beer, which we do not want in this case, but ginger beer shandy. Your last drink, a three to one martini with a dash of absinthe. Um, and you'll never drink overly sweetened gins, which uh, I, I am going to have to allow. So what a, what a <laughs> fantastic round of drinks, Jamie. Thank you so, so much for coming on. It's been a real, real pleasure to talk to you, get to know you a little bit better. And, uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, I think you've, you've, you've certainly given me some food for thought and some stuff that I'm going to, or drinks for thought, I should say, um, to, to go away <laughs> and uh, experience now. But uh, in the meantime, I'm raising a glass to you, my friend. Thank you so much. It's been a real, real pleasure to have you on. Thank you. No, no, likewise. Thanks very much, Rory. Cheers. Yeah, Thank you. Cheers. Take care. <laughs> there we go. Episode two, done and dusted. Thank you so much to Jamie Baxter for joining me on the Thirst of All podcast. You can find Jamie on Twitter at Wild Free Spirit, his company, Craft Distilling Services. If you're out there and you're looking to set up your own distillery, this guy, this is the only person you need to get involved. He can help from everything from stills to recipes to absolutely everything when it comes to setting up a distillery. But uh, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please like, subscribe, tell everybody, tell your friends. Uh, five stars on the old iTunes chart. That would be fab. Um, you follow me on Thirstful at Thirstful Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can DM me with suggestions of things. Series three is definitely on the cards, and we are going to change up the format ever so slightly. We're going to drop one of the drinks and replace it with a new drink for the new round of drinks. If you've got any ideas, please let me know. But I've got a few things that I think that would work really well. Um, but um, in the meantime. You know how it ends always, raising a glass to you all, cheers, but thank you, I really mean it, thank you so much, it's an absolute pleasure to keep bringing you these episodes and seeing the lovely comments and feedback, so we'll keep it going, we'll keep it coming, so thank you so much everybody, and until next time, cheers.